Welcome to Joint Ventures, a podcast where we delve into the cannabis investment landscape through the lens of investors and operators who help fuel the growth of the cannabis industry. Today, we're joined by Eric Moore. Eric is a vice president with J.P. Morgan Private Bank, where he advises successful business owners, executives, and affluent families through the complexity of their wealth. He provides a unique lens into the cannabis investment landscape. Thanks for coming on the show, Eric. Here's your host, Jordan Tritt. Eric, thanks for joining us today. How's it going? It's going great. Thanks for having me. All right, awesome. Well, we'll go ahead and get started. So, Eric, tell our listeners, what's your background and how did you get into the investment industry? Yeah, sure. So I'm a wealth management advisor. And so my specialty is helping investors, business owners, and their families with complex finances and planning. And so what that means is, you know, oftentimes they come to me when they are in a period of transition in their lives. Maybe they're uh, selling a business or they're receiving an inheritance or going through a divorce. Or maybe they're just looking for, you know, some type of change and some new thoughts and ideas and capabilities. And so I kind of help them find the meaning and purpose for their wealth. I got into the, the industry in kind of a, a non-traditional way. I actually had a, a military background uh, prior to getting into the industry. I went to the Naval Academy for college and studied economics. And then I had a seven-year Navy career as an officer and got to travel the world and have you know, just tremendous experiences, but uh, decided to hang it up and, and get into the private sector. And I went back to business school and, and got really interested in wealth management. And so I was fortunate uh, to get picked up for a program through Bank of America at the time where they were looking for people that they could teach the, the, the banking and the investments and the wealth management, but had, you know, strong networks of people. And so I built my practice from the ground up and I've really enjoyed doing so. And I spent a little bit of time at Alliance Bernstein most recently, and I'm in, in the process of transitioning my practice to J.P. Morgan's private bank. Awesome. Very fascinating background. Just curious, you know, when you look back at the your military experience and then the transition into wealth management, you know, what's maybe one or two things that, that you think really set you up? have set you up for success or that you lean on regularly based on your military background. I think I'm always amazed and uh, appreciative of, of people who devote themselves to our country and our you know defense like that. So I'd love to kind of hear your take on you know what you've taken from that experience and how it's allowed you to be so successful in the wealth management side. Yeah, sure. Thank you for saying that. You know, two things come to mind, you know, just generally, you know, caring for, for people, you know, in the, in the military and particularly as an officer and being in a leadership role, you know, just, you know, putting your people first and going above and above beyond for them and not having them do anything that you wouldn't do yourself has really carried over for me into into business. And I like to think that, you know, I, I go above and beyond for my clients and for my network and uh, other professionals that I, I work alongside. So that's, you know, that's the primary thing. Also just kind of a, a tenacity and, a, you know, the grit that it takes to, to overcome obstacles, I think is really something that I learned early and often when I was in the military. And, uh, you know, that perseverance, just, you know, pushing through, you know, I, I've, I've been in uncomfortable situations. And so when I when I'm in my, in my role as, as an advisor, you know, I, I think back to my time in the military 
you know, whatever challenges I'm facing at the time. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not getting shot at today, so it can't be too bad. But that's, that's really helped me in my career. Eric, how do you discuss alternative investments with your clients? And, you know, that's whether they bring it up or you bring it up. Because I know we, you know, initially connected around, you know, the, the discussion about the alternative investment strategies. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, alternatives have been such a major part of the the asset allocation conversation, particularly in in this current market environment. You know, for investors that qualify and have the risk profile to incorporate alternatives, it can really be a game changer for their portfolio. And, you know, we've we've seen some some recent changes in capital markets, right? We've had this amazing, you know, 12 to 15 year run up and people's portfolios have done very well, uh, but that may may not necessarily be the case, you know, say for the next 10 years, right? So you, we may be in a muted return environment. And, you know, that's kind of the, the Wall Street consensus is that we're going to be in that type of environment where you're not going to have quite the return structure on, you know, equities and fixed income. And so, you know, using alternatives are, are a great way to continue to the returns that people have come to expect while reducing volatility and continuing to, to build a strong portfolio, as long as you can deal with having, you know, some illiquidity. You know, there's oftentimes lockup periods and different structures in place. So they're, they're obviously very important. The, the traditional kind of 60-40 equity bond portfolio has has been under a lot of scrutiny lately. And so now we're seeing people using, you know, kind of non-traditional investment opportunities, uh, you know, all different types of things, which I'm sure we'll discuss. But to, to kind of break up that 60-40 and maybe it's, you know, 40-20-40 portfolio it's now. So that's kind of what we're seeing. You know, it's, it's included in every you know, major conversation that we're having with our clients and uh, certainly leads to, to interesting opportunities. Mm-hmm. So and what, along the those lines, what is a good entry point into alternative investments? You know, how do you, let's say it's a client that's, you know, familiar with in general, but you're looking at recommending a certain, you know, strategy or just in general, you know, how do you usually get clients comfortable or how do you yeah, that yeah sure. Point. So, you know, every client is different, right? So everyone has kind of a different profile. So it, it really varies. But a lot of times we're seeing, you know, entry points into to, to private markets. So private equity, private debt are really opportunities to, to build a strong foundation for a long-term investment portfolio. Obviously, including that is, is venture, right? So having conversations around venture capital opportunities, Really, you know, set a strong foundation. Real estate, you know, it's the the largest asset class there is. It's certainly a major part of most of the strong portfolios that we see. Having some interesting conversations around ways to incorporate that. And a lot of clients like having, you know, tangible assets, revenue, income producing assets in their portfolio. So that's oftentimes what we're seeing. Other things include, you know, hedge funds. They can be a good way to to de-risk a portfolio. Or even now, something interesting is is people want to have conversations about collectibles. So how is the cannabis investment opportunity different or similar to other times in, you know, the history of investing? You know, so some similarities you see with the timing now versus some other alternative asset class that you've 
been exposed to in the past? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I, I think of kind of some different periods throughout the history of markets. You know, the first one that comes to mind is kind of, you know, prohibition back in the in the 20s and 30s and how the the market came out on the other side of that. And I think, you know, the particularly the alcohol companies, the way they were able to adapt in that environment during the prohibitionary period, I think, you know, a lot of them changed kind of their, their, they had to change their business structure else they wouldn't survive, right? But, you know, ended up doing very well on the other side once once it was repealed. Uh, but I think probably the the better comparison, you know, more recently is, is kind of the, the, the dot-com era, right? We had a lot of interest and a lot of capital flowing into the industry. And there were winners and losers, right? Some of them were really strong companies, but you also had a lot of money flowing into different firms and investment pools and and penny stocks that weren't going to survive, right? And that ended up playing out because it was kind of like the Wild West. No one had ever experienced that before. So I think there's lessons to be learned by that. You know, you, you kind of have to, you know, do your research and understand the fundamentals to make sure it's not just kind of, you know, fly by night operators that are looking to make a quick profit, right? So you have to be careful in, in your in, in your investments. And, and I guess more, you know, more recently, you're just kind of the, the crypto industry. We've seen it kind of play out. You know, there's been some, there's good actors and bad actors. And so a lot of people were left kind of holding the bag here recently because there wasn't due diligence and regulation around it, right? So I think there's a lot to be learned from that. You know, cannabis obviously has been making a push lately. It's it's gone through some volatile states of, of regulation, that, you know, on, on the federal level. But, you know, there's I think there's a lot of optimism to come out positively on the other side. Absolutely. So given the, the reality that, you know, currently uh, cannabis is federally regulated and, uh, you know, a, a Schedule One drug, where are opportunities, you know, given your financial positioning, you know, how are you able to, you know, position clients to get access to the cannabis industry without necessarily, you know, touching the plant or being, you know, too close to uh, operators that are, you know, from a federal perspective, you know, mm-hmm. you know don't have. Yeah. So you know, sometimes in conversation with clients, you know, they, they really want to take advantage of opportunities in cannabis, right? There's, there's a lot of discussion, a lot of research being done, and they feel that they can get in at a great entry point, right? But there's not always opportunities with, you know, larger investment firms and banks to, to access those opportunities. But, you know, I think that as things continue to evolve and, you know, we're seeing lawmakers and lobbyists pushing to, to pass legislation to free up uh, capital and, and allow these types of firms to, to gain access to, to banking systems, right? There's going to be a ton of opportunity. And, and just, you know, in, in current environments, there's a number of blue chip stocks that either directly tied in with, with the cannabis industry or will be or, you know, have a piece that you know, we're telling clients to to look towards and incorporate into their portfolios. There's a lot of volatility and inflationary pressures in the, in the current market environment, and that creates opportunity, but it also creates you know pullbacks. We, we're kind of seeing that volatility play out right now. Even this week, you know, with with the, the news on on regulation about the Safe Banking Act, right? The hope was that a lot of the cannabis com- companies were going to benefit 
from passing that and it was going to get tied into the National Defense Authorization Act. But now, you know, as of, as of you know, as early as this week, it's, it's gotten a lot of resistance from certain lawmakers. And so we're seeing that volatility play out, you know, kind of heavy swings back and forth in the, in this, in the stock market, you know, because of, but, you know, I think there's certainly going to be additional capital flowing into the industry here as, as, as the regulation comes on board. And, you know, smart investors will be there to, to get in at, at smart entry points. So shifting gears again, Eric, uh, we are in a you know, time period in history where there's massive generational wealth being transferred from the baby boomers to the next generation. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, the transfer of generational wealth, you know, what's happening and, you know, how this changes your interaction with clients and how you, you know, position yourself to be, you know, in the mix moving forward and, and how you navigate those changes. Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, it's it's a time like any other, you know, the the estimates on the, the amount of wealth being transferred from the baby boomers to the next generation is upwards of $30 trillion. You know, it's uh, it's pretty remarkable when you think about it. And so with that comes a lot of, of opportunity and a lot of work that needs to be done. You know, as far as education and facilitating transactions to to help those individuals and the families that are going to need support to sustain and you know create legacies and ensure that that wealth doesn't disappear through the generations. And so we do a lot of work having conversations of how we can support families to do that. And a lot of times we're seeing the next generation is really stepping up and wanting to talk about how they can play a part in making decisions for the family and, you know, making an impact with their investments, right? I think more so than ever, it's uh, for maybe for some time, it, it was a little taboo to talk about wealth, in particular in between family members. But, you know, the, I think the younger generations really want to, to hone in and, and focus and have conversations around doing, you know, well, but also doing good, right, is what we say. And, and push, putting their values into the portfolio so that they can make a difference. And this kind of ties in with ESG investing, as we call it in the industry, environmental, social, and governance investing. And, you know, that's thinking through the, the impact that companies are, are making and holding them to higher standards and being more diverse in a number of ways. And so there's a whole movement within the, the financial service industry to facilitate those conversations and building that into portfolios. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned you know, impact investing. I think about a conversation I just had recently with a with a member of a family office. And what he mentioned was, you know, historically this family, you know, wasn't interested in the cannabis industry, but they had a situation where the, the mother of the, the patriarch ended up getting sick and you know, having to deal with cancer. And one of the places she got relief was, you know, from cannabis. And so now it's become a, an impact investment for the family. And the challenge that, you know, in this case, the, you know, the investment professional shared with me is, okay, you've got this directive to go and, and get more exposure to cannabis because it's an impact investment. We want to, you know, the patriarch wants to support the industry, but they don't have the, like you mentioned, it's it's not set up in a way where they're familiar with executing their strategy because it's such an unknown, 
highly regulated industry. And a lot of times, you know, they don't have the setup for this. So, you know, do you see similarities like in this where you have an impact investment and then some sort of disconnect between, you know, how that actually gets played out from an investment perspective? And, you know, where do you see that intersection, you know, potentially between ESG impact investing and cannabis? Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out, right? Because we're going to see this dynamic shift from uh, cannabis maybe being included in what has previously been known as a sin stock. So things like alcohol, firearms, oil, just, you know, things that maybe are bad for the environment. So that you have this category of sin stocks, but it's going to, I think it completely change. The narrative is going to change around it because of the medicinal purposes, right? And, and all the benefits to society that cannabis is going to have. And so you have a complete dynamic shift from, from the previous thinking to, to one that is making an impact on communities in a number of ways. And so there's so much opportunity in that. Um, and conversations are only going to play out as the industry grows, you know, I think, you know, statistics over the next 10 years, it could be upwards of, you know, $150, $200 billion industry, right? And so there's a number of ways to capitalize on that. But as far as, you know, just building out impact portfolios and, and including cannabis in the conversation, it's going to be really interesting to see play out. Eric, given what you just mentioned about the evolution of federal regulation and how large the market is going to become over time. How are you interfacing with clients and what are you recommending them to do right now to be in a position to capitalize on the opportunities in the future as federal regulations within cannabis change? Yeah. So, you know, there's obviously certain restrictions currently with, you know, larger banks and investment firms that have kind of hindered the, the opportunity. But I think there's a lot of growth potential in having relationships between investment advisors and professionals and venture capital firms, you know, making introductions to to people like you, Jordan, to open up a suite of capabilities and investment opportunities is is really going to be impactful. And I think there's plenty of room for for people like us to work together in order to to support common clients, right? And, And showing them what is out there and how we can support them together. Absolutely. And that's why, you know, we created this this forum and, and wanted to be broad in terms of the guests that we have on, because we know that, you know, we are at a point in time right now where capital looks a certain way, but we, there's going to be this evolution over time. And this will become like any other, you know, industry and big opportunity that we know about, you know, in a lot of ways bigger than than other industries. And, you know, between now and that future, this is the ideal time, like we talked about. This is a opportunity for for capital that isn't restrained by you know you know their own kind of you know regulations and rules to be able to deploy. And you know we just want to be a part of that conversation and continue to be a resource for those individuals as well as you know their professional advisors like you. So uh, again, thank you for joining us today, Eric. Great having the conversation. I know the audience will enjoy it and look forward to continuing our relationship together in the future. I really enjoyed it, Jordan. Thank you for having me. Our mission is to bring you insights on how to thrive in the dynamic, fast-paced, and rapidly expanding cannabis market. If you are an investor, cannabis executive, or innovator and want to be featured on our show, visit jointventurespodcast.com.